I'd like for you to open your Bible to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, we're talking about life on God's terms, the Sermon on the Mountain. Wonderful section of Scripture that everybody should try to master, at least to understand it, because these are some very important things that God says in the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we were chapter 7, verse 7 through 11, and that's where we are again tonight, but he begins verse 7 by saying, Ask, and you shall receive. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you, and seek, and you'll find. Those are wonderful opportunities. Ask, knock, and seek. And the answer is always, and you will. Now, it says in verse 8, Everyone that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now, there would be many people in Christianity who would argue greatly with that, verse 8. There are people, I think, who have written books that are saying things like, well, that's what it says, but what it means. And then they go from what it says to what they think it says. question I asked last week, does this really work? Is it really true? Did Jesus really mean what he said in this Sermon on the Mount? All the things in the Sermon on the Mount that are that people contest, the divorce and remarriage thing or, or oath and swearing, whatever it is, I don't know that anything is, has more consternation to Christians when you get right down to it in a discussion than this one. Why is it, how is it that Jesus said, if you ask, if you knock, if you seek, you will find? No ifs, no ands, no buts, no maybes, just if you ask, if you knock, if you seek, you will find it shall be given and so forth. And yet we, uh, we know a lot of people that have sought, they say they sought, they certainly have asked, they've been in prayer a lot about things. And they have, in spiritual sense, knocked, that is, inquired of God, uh, come before him. But nothing changed. Nothing worked. It just didn't come to pass. So here we are sitting here tonight in this time in history, looking at things that generations before us have studied and said, is it really true? Can it really be? We mentioned last time, Mark eleven twenty four, where Jesus said, what things soever you desire. Think of that. What things soever you desire. When you pray, believe you have received it, and you'll get it. What a relief that should be to all of us about our tomorrows and our right nows. Or the psalmist who said, you know, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And he said here, what things ever you desire, ask and you shall receive. The other side of Mark eleven twenty four is Matthew twenty one twenty one, where Jesus said, In all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Well, think of what that means to us. All these things that cause apprehension, stress, anxiety, all the things that threaten us, that, that make us feel like 
this is going to overwhelm you, defeat you, conquer you, prevent you. This isn't, you know, this might not. You know, and think of all of that kind of stuff. And Jesus said, now, what things ever you desire when you pray, you believe you have received it, and God will give it to you. Tonight, living in this world right now, I cannot think of a more magnificent promise from a God who has no limits than that one. What things soever you desire, you pray, you shall receive it. And so when you start saying, well, let's, let's try prayer, he didn't say try prayer. He said, when you pray, believe. Prayer is not an exercise in futility. It's not supposed to be. Prayer is a formal petition before God on the basis of his word for you to receive what he's promised. God said, put me in remembrance. That's what we do when we pray. And when we pray, and we pray according to his word, his word does not return void. Because he sent it out with something, we send it back with something if we send it back with faith. So we said last week, and I want to continue on there, why doesn't faith work? James said, God gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Why doesn't that work for me? Why doesn't that work for people you know? Why didn't that work for others that used to be in, in, in our church or people in this faith walk? Many people have already quit because it didn't work. They say they have been wrongly taught. Well, forget the teaching for a minute. Throw all your tapes away and just open your eyeballs and read. What did he say? Just forget who taught you that it, this, this works. Let Jesus tell you it works. And that's what we want. Now, why doesn't it work? Well, I mentioned I was on it last week, my favorite subject. The reason it doesn't work is because of a faith problem. It is a faith issue. Jesus said, again, going back to Mark, it all has to do with faith. The verses I read a while ago or quoted a while ago, all of them have to do with believing. All things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. That's the condition for receiving. You must believe. And people who go to church and read their Bible say, well, I believe. No, what you're saying is, I mentally agree with God that what the Bible says is true. I'm not willing to trust the content of the Bible because I'm not sure it'll work for me. It's the not being sure that qualifies in James 1 is doubt. Go to James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, he says, verse 5, he gives all men liberally and upbraideth not. And then the next verse says, but if you're going to ask, let him ask in faith. Is that verse 6? Let him ask in faith without wavering. Now, I'm telling you tonight what I believe about this. I believe the great problem with people not receiving from God is something is wrong with their faith. And as we'll see later, if I can get to it, there's probably something wrong in their life, in their relationship to God, preventing their faith from working. They confess the right things. They're trying to act the right way. They're trying to say the right things and do certain things. But there's something else besides that. I'll tell you something, folks. Faith isn't something you can just cheaply have. You're confessing the word doesn't mean it's going to work. If you believe it, you will confess it. But there's more to it than just saying it. You've got to believe it, and you've got to believe it in your heart. Something inside of you must be convinced and confident that it's so, and I don't have to labor anymore about this, I have received from my Father. 
That's what faith does. Faith is a confidence that you have in God that what he has said you will have. No questions about it. Not trying to get it. I believe I have it. But he said in chapter 1 and verse 6, Let him ask in faith without wavering. For he that wavereth, or doubts, it's the same word for doubt, he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. That's what people's faith is like. That's what doubt does to all of us. It makes us unsure. We all want what God said. We're all good people as far as trying and go to church and and paying our taxes or whatever the people qualify as good. But it just doesn't work. I had a failure. I just fell apart. It didn't work. Well, listen. He said, he that doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And then what does your Bible say that next verse says? For he that waves like waves, he driven tossed. Let not that man what? How many of you really, really believe this? How many of you can say that I really believe you didn't write that? Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. Now, let's be honest. A reason a lot of people aren't receiving from the Lord is because of a problem with their faith. Now, I didn't write that. That's what your Bible says. We don't want to tell people that because when you tell people that and it's true, they say, you're condemning me. Now, I know how this works. I've been doing it for 40 years. They say, you're just telling somebody the truth for whom the, the, the word is, just for, the word is for you, this message is for you, and they are offended because they feel condemned. Like, well, you know, I mess up all the time, but don't tell me I mess up. How can you ever mess right if, you, if, you mess, if somebody doesn't tell you you're messing up? How can you make a wrong right unless somebody tells you what's right? So somebody should tell you what's right. Don't be offended at the truth. The truth will make you free. Doubt keeps you in darkness. So, let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. So going back to where I was, the next verse is a double-minded man, but going back to where we were, the reason a lot of people are knocking and asking and seeking and getting no results is because of that. James chapter 1. Let not that man think he shall receive anything from God because of worry and fear and fright and things like that. They keep them uncertain, unconvinced. And what a terror that is to be at some dark time in your life or some moment in your life in which your life or somebody else's life is hanging in the balance and you're not sure if it'll work. Now's the time when things are at peace in your life. Now's the time to wrestle with God. To sit down and ask yourself, do I believe this? And if I don't, why don't I? And God help me to. I want to believe. I want to be a believer. I want to walk the rest of my life being sure and steadfast that what God has said, he'll do it for me. And I want to be an encouragement to other people. I want my life to shine. I want my light to shine. I want my life to be a testimony. That comes because Hebrews 11 tells you what, what God calls a good testimony, doesn't it? The heroes of the faith. No, they didn't all get exactly what they asked for, but they never gave up and quit. Some of them even chose, instead of deliverance now, they chose the deliverance in the next life. They went all the way to the burning stake, trusting God for their resurrection. I mean, this is the kind of faith they had. 
A lot of faithful men could have called 10,000 angels or called for help. But they said, no, I'll just stay with the Lord here. So the first reason is, is it, it is a faith problem. It, it's a believing problem, and it's not meant to be a condemning thing to anybody. Because the Bible uses the word faith in relation to how we walk, how we live, how we pray, how we overcome. It has to do with, with how we resist the devil. What is victory in our life? It's how we please God. I mean, that word faith is attached to all of that. And even your salvation, like Peter wrote, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We believe to the end. We believe to the saving of the soul. I mean, that's biblical talk. So nothing will loom bigger in your life as a Christian in this life now. Nothing can replace faith. You can say, well, I just want to love people. That's good. That's noble and that's good. But it doesn't replace faith. You should love people and believe God. And if you're not believing God, you say, well, I do all these other things. There is no substitute for the one simple thing that God says that pleases him. Again, that's not to condemn anybody. That's just good information. Secondly, why do we ask and knock and seek and don't get anything? Is because we faint. Fainting spells. Christians faint. Now, the word, the word faint, by definition, means to turn out. This is a Greek word, to turn out to be a coward. Oh, my. One who, in the heat of the battle, runs, turns and runs. Allows things to overwhelm you until where you're convinced you can't win, you can't do any good, and you just let go. It means to... To lose one's courage. In the New Testament, generally, it means to be faint-hearted or to faint or despond in the view of the presence of or in light of your difficulties or your circumstances. It just it really means to quit. It doesn't mean you didn't start because you can't faint if you haven't started. This word faint goes with those who have grabbed the plow and those that are walking down the road to trusting God. And, and somewhere down the line, as you're put to the test, as James 1 talks about, the devil begins throwing his darts at you. Well, this is serious. This is not a toenail you're dealing with here. This isn't something on you. This is serious. Oh, you, you know, this could cost you everything. This could cost you marriage. Well, if you went home and told him that, you know what he would say? You know, if you told her that, you know what she would say? Well, if you did that to your boss, you acted like that on the job site. If you didn't do this, look, why, you would lose your job. You can't, you can't love God more than your job, folks. You're not supposed to love God more than life. Yes, you are, too, now. Don't you sit there and say it's okay, because it isn't. You're supposed to love God with all of your heart. And to faint... When you begin to faint, you begin to let go. Let me show you how fainting goes with receiving from God. Turn to Hebrews 6. Hebrews chapter 6. That you be not slothful. Verse 12. That you be not slothful, but followers of those who through faith and... I look it down and also in verse 36. Hebrews 10, 36. For he said, you have need of 
patience. Does your Bible say that? You have need of patience so that after you have done the will of God, that you might receive what was promised. Doesn't mean that God will change his mind. It's, it's nothing to do with God from God's side of things, yes and amen. But here he says, you, you who are going to walk with the Lord and be his people and be a Christian, you have need of patience. Now, there's two words for patience here. The first word in verse 12 is a word for, for which we get the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and 20, 22. It means to be long-suffering. Slow to anger. It has more to do with personal relationships than anything else. We have to put up with each other. It also shows us how God puts up with us. And here it also shows how we have to put up with what we're going through and not faint because we get overwhelmed. I don't want to lose my courage in the middle of the battle. Would you like to cut and run? I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of times, you'd like to get away. Who wouldn't? Well, the devil's trying hard. Why, why wouldn't he? That's what he does. Well, it hurts. It's supposed to hurt. The thing you're going through, the trial, it's designed to hurt. That's what the devil does because most people, if it's got pain in it, they're out. You're to hold fast and not be overwhelmed. Patience is a result, like this, this word here. This is not the word, the second word in, he, in uh, verse 36, you have need of patience. This is a stronger word. It has to do with endurance, steadfastness, fortitude. I mean, this is something, and it only can come if in James 1, 3, if you start with faith. Listen to me. Oh, boy, this is a whole sermon. I'll try to get through this without going to... Around the bushes. God makes a promise. God holds something before you that you really want. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's deliverance. Maybe it's a vacation. Maybe it's a a raise, a job, a, a wife, a husband. Maybe something out there is before you, and it causes you to know that God holds you for this to come to pass, to work out, and to benefit you, and Glorify God, you have to use your faith. You must believe God. You can't please Him if you don't. So you make application of your faith. Let's say it's more serious. Maybe it's something healing. So you said, You know, Lord God, you start praying for this. Now, when the delay starts, when the when it looks like it's not working, what do you need? Patience is a direct product of faith. You're not going to have patience unless you have faith first. My faith, see, whenever I'm getting resistance from the devil, you think, well, this ain't going to work. And something in you has to say, yes, it will. You stay right there. The word macrothemia is a word which means to remain steadfast under. You're not a quitter. You're not going to run. You're not going to lose heart and turn back because God has already promised it won't be bigger than your ability to deal with it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Amen. Thank you. So you, get, you, know, you engage the enemy. You confront the enemy because God said you have to. You've got a shield that quenches every fiery dart that he throws. You've got a sword that he cannot stop. So you're well equipped. 
proven weapons. So this is how God sends us into the world. We use our faith for healing, for health, well-being, a job, money, get out of debt, a lot of things. He never stops dealing with you to deal, to use your faith. And every time you start to use your faith, here comes the devil. You know what the devil dreads more than anything in your life? It's, it's your faith. As the Bible says about the devil, he goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may, res- may devour. And the Bible says, whom resist steadfast in the faith. That means your faith is designed to win. It's designed to win. The victory that overcomes the world before the world even gets here, the victory is your faith. It's never given the retreat cry. You, you don't run backwards. All the armor you have is for the front side. I haven't heard of much for the back side because you fight the devil front to front, face to face. And this is how you fight. And the first thing when you begin to weaken is you begin to weaken in your mind. Your mental game begins to falter. You begin to think, well, you know, I thought this, I thought he would, I thought this, I thought, oh, man, this is, so you got to delay. There seems to be a delay in the manifestation of what you're asking for, believing for, looking for. The pain is as bad tomorrow as it was today, as it was yesterday. When you prayed yesterday, you were all excited, and you prayed after church, oh, praise God in Jesus' name, and yet here it is two days later, and you're hurting worse than you were. Your house is no better, job's no better, money's no better. In fact, you got a flat tire. And everything else is going wrong. After you pray, what's going on here? You're being tested, aren't you? James chapter 1 has said, Count all joy when you encounter different kinds of trials, knowing this. Like Peter said, think it not strange concerning what? The fiery trials which are to try you. Go back to James. He said, knowing this, that the testing of your faith worketh patience. It means this second word here in James 1, endurance. The testing of your faith is working steadfastness. Either you will hold steadfast and you're not going to quit or you'll faint and fall back, retreat, lose a battle, get condemned in your mind. People will come to you with sympathy because they probably did too. And they'll surround you and say, well, this message is not for everybody. I'll be. I'll be. I mean, that should be something up here. Wait a minute. Y'all excuse me just a minute. In the foreword up here? Wait a minute. Oh, there it is. To all who read this book, this the message in this book is not for all Christians. Some of this will work for some of you, and it's not designed to work for others who must just struggle, retreat, and fall back. Oh, I, I forgot. I didn't know that. Well, I praise God I'm one of those, I guess, that then we'd have pride in the church, wouldn't we? Listen, your faith is what you start with in order to have patience. If you read the book of Luke, you don't turn to it. In Luke 18th chapter, the Bible says the only way you bear fruit is with patience. 
Because fruit's a slow process. And there's storms and wind and bugs and all kinds of stuff that affects fruit trees. And he says that a good man bringeth forth fruit with endurance. Now, if you don't have that, you're sitting in a seat in a church untested your whole life. Unproven and not yet useful to the Lord because God cannot use you if he puts you in a battle zone and you're going to quit. Because the people you, you need to back are going to get hurt because you ran. You can't do that. And why would God put anybody in the battle that was unproven? Yeah, that's why we're here now. We're being tested now. Some of you are going to turn out to be strong in the faith, strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Some are going to do that. They're going to be determined right now that I don't have to lose. It's not required of me as a Christian that I must lose. It's not required of me that I have to whimper and whine and draw back and complain about, it was too hard. I don't have to do that. The Bible doesn't say it. That's good to do that. So I think I'll just go ahead and make up my mind to win, not retreat, and stay put with God. And I'll say what Esther said. I'm going to walk this way, and if I fail, I fail. If I lose, I lose. She said, went before the king and says, and if I perish, I perish, but I'm going in. There has to be something in us that's determined to prove God right. And if God said he'll do it, you have to say, then that's good enough for me. He will do it, and I'm not going to let go of him. I'll wrestle with God if I have to. I'm just not going to give up. I'm not going to draw back. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to faint because that's not the way you win the battles of life. Feigning is to be faint-hearted. You draw back. It's a patience thing. It's an endurance thing. And the many times in the Bible that endurance is used, in your patience possess you your souls. Remember that one? In the last days, in the context of the end, when all the horrific things are happening all around the world and they're getting closer to home, and if it's not horrific things on the other side of the world, it's the social mess and the, well, the perilous times have come. And the Bible says, in your endurance, listen to this, you possess your souls. Now, whatever, whatever you're being taught, I hope it promotes the idea that you've got to believe God. And I hope when you believe God, you won't let go of that. Because to be tossed to and fro, to waver, is what? To receive nothing from the Lord. We have no choice. We have no options. I don't care what you think you ought to do or how you feel you ought to do it. There's only one thing you can do. If you want to be right, that's stay with God. You might as well shoulder up, square your shoulders, and say, you know what? I haven't been much of a fighter my whole life. I have been one of those people that look for the least I can do. What is the very least I have to do to get to heaven? What's the very least I have to do to make a grade in this class? That's the way I was in college. What is the absolute least requirement of me to do such and such? Those people never succeed. They never make it in the big world. They look for handouts. They don't want to work hard. They're afraid that they'll fail. 
And a fear of failure only promotes doubt and unbelief and uncertainty. And they go to God and they cry out to God, Oh, God, do this and do that. And they don't realize God is willing to do that, but you're not willing to believe it. You want him to do it because you ask, not because you live it. And faith is a life, a life that you live. We walk by faith and not by sight. But faith will always produce patience because this is a product of the test. This is what makes you as strong and enduring and so on and so forth. But in Hebrews 10.36, he said, You have need of patience that after you have done the will of God that you might receive what was promised. Can you imagine that you might receive what was promised? Are you still in Hebrews? Look in chapter 12. Hebrews 12 and verse 1. Seeing then, he have such a great cloud of witnesses who have left their testimonies to us. Let us lay aside every weight. Uh-oh, that's another message. Mm-mm-mm. Let us lay aside all the stuff. Let me see how I can get by this, because mine's painted orange here. That means you're supposed to stop and read it. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset. Is giving up a sin? Uh, Watch out. If I said to you, he that knoweth to do good and is unwilling to do the good, to that person, his unwillingness is sin. Would you disagree with that? That's true, isn't it? Now, here I'm getting off subject again, but I'll I'll come right back real quick on this one. The thing that keeps us headed towards sin way is called a weight, something that we allow to weight us down, to burden us, to make it harder for us. And even though we know we've got to lay this thing aside, because we can't get through a narrow gate carrying all this stuff in life, the way that leads to life is, is narrow. And what do you say? Few, few there be that find it, but many seek to enter it. They can't get through it. Whew, what a mess. We've got to do that one too. They seek to enter, but they can't get through it because of these weights, this stuff, life's stuff. So he, he tells us that we have to lay all this stuff aside and run with endurance. Run with endurance, the race that is set before us. And the sin that doth so easily beset us, the rest, most of the rest of this chapter says, consider Jesus. What do you consider about him? Well, look at what he went through. And he didn't quit. Difficulty? Listen, he stood against sin so steadfastly so passionately and emotionally with all of his heart, his mind, and his body that his blood vessels actually burst in his head, closest to the skin. I'd say that was pretty high pressure, wouldn't you? And, and blood mingled with his sweat. The first time he shed blood before the cross was in the garden. That was, and it happened in making a decision to do this. And the blood fell on the ground, mingled with sweat. That was when it started. Now, that's enduring. 
that steadfast resistance to quitting and calling the angels and all of that, he endured. You know, he prayed, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass. He knew what was coming. Despising the shame, he knew the shame was coming. Oh, I love this message. But who for the joy that was set before him? You know what the joy was? The accomplishing of his mission to be a, an acceptable sacrifice for the sins of man so that man could be loosed from their sins and be saved. Jesus did that. That was the joy set before him, and he did it. And when he got there, when he said on the cross, it is finished, he said, I have finished my course. You can't get any better than that. I'm here tonight because he did that. But patience, endurance, steadfastness, that's what you have to do. That's what he's talking about here, the sin that does so easily beset us. And he talks more and more about overcoming and not quitting. That's a sin because you know better. Thirdly, tonight, another reason why people's faith doesn't work and why they ask and knock and seek is because they don't ask according to God's will. Sometimes people's prayers are aimless prayers. They're not God-directed prayers. And, you know, you can find a lot of God's will by just reading the Bible. You can find major things, healing and deliverance and supply of all of your needs. I mean, there's lots and lots of promises in the Bible which reveal God's will. But there's a lot of things in your life that you want to know God's will for that the Bible doesn't specifically deal with. Most of what you need God's guidance for is not something the Bible specifically addresses. Should I buy? Should I sell? Should I marry? Should I flee? Sometimes you don't have but a day or two. What should I do, Lord? What am I supposed to do now? You come up on the scene of an accident or, or, or something, and as a Christian, you're, you know that God has a man or a woman there. I mean, things can happen now, and, and you want to be used, and, and you say, Lord, what should I do? Because you don't know. It's not a good time to sit down and read the Bible. What do you do? Well, hopefully, God's will becomes something you become keenly attached to with a thing called peace. As you listen now, as you pay attention now, as you study now, as you seek after God now, and you hear testimonies of other people who cried out and God did this or God did that, and you begin to learn that there's something that God will trigger on the inside of you that will make you alert to his will. But if you're only casual in your Christianity and you're not really into it, you won't have that. About all you can do is suffer. Cry out. Hope it works. Many times in my life I had to make a decision about, well, moving. Or I thought today of a thousand different things you could think of. But what should I do? Should I move to Shelbyville? Should I move to Sellersburg? Where's, what do you want me to do, Lord? And I, I couldn't get any direction about anything. So I came to this point in my walk with the Lord. I said, well, I don't know what you want me to do here, but here's what I'd like to do. I think I'm going to move to such and such a place because it seems to me there's better. Than, but, so you make that decision, and then God changes it. 
and then you wound up in Shelbyville or wherever you're headed for. That wasn't your first choice, but that was where he put you because that's God's will. Well, hopefully in that process, he's teaching you some things. Sometimes you don't always know exactly. But as you make a decision based on a good, intelligent ideas and thoughts, you decide to do that, and that's what God, I'm going to sell insurance one time, and then the phone rings, come and preach a revival. Oh, no. I'm going back to college. I'm going to go back and get my master's degree so I can keep teaching school. And then a phone rings. I'm in Chicago. I'm in the Bismarck Hotel in Chicago, wherever that is. And a trustee, a, a man that hires teachers in, in a city in southern Indiana, wants me to come and teach in his school. Doesn't know where I am. Somebody said he's in Chicago. He calls the operator says, dial every hotel, start every motel, every hotel in Chicago until you find Tom Hamilton. And thankfully, it was at the Bismarck, so they didn't have to go too far. I was in a lobby with the New York Yankees. Tom Hamilton, you have a phone call at the desk. Who is the world? Who is Tom Hamilton? I'm standing around all these big shots and the phone for me. And it's a trustee. I want you to teach in my school. He says, I'll give you this much money. Well, that's the end of going back to college and get my master's degree. They can keep that. <laughs> I went. I stayed in teaching school. I got saved the following year. Two years after I got saved. I wound up here. See, God's will has been incorporated and directing in your life, too. Those times, those cars were spinning around all the time, and this was happening, your brakes fell, your wheel come up. I want you to know that God was had his hand on you then, and his will kept you from going off the road or dying or whatever. But when it comes to asking, asking, knocking, and seeking, back to that, there's some things I know I can ask for. There's some things I'm not sure. I know there's been cases of a brother I once knew. Well, he's dead now, but grew up with. He was sick. As I was going to pray for him, I knew in my heart this wasn't going to work. I hope you all understand what I'm trying to say. I can mouth the right words, pray the right kind of prayer. But your heart betrays you. Your heart says it ain't going to work. I know it wouldn't. I didn't tell him that. I think I just went ahead and prayed, and I did the best that I could with that. But see, the reason I might say to you tonight that the reason that didn't work from my side is First John chapter 5. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And, verse 15 says, and if we know that he hears us, then we know that whatever we ask for, we shall receive. Now, I think knowing that he hears us, you know God can hear anybody. He can hear the least little sound in the world. But what he's saying as a figure of speech is, if you're praying for something that is not in harmony with God's will, it won't work. Are you with me? You pray amiss. Lord, you pray. It's up to 92 million this week. The big L is up to 22 million. Now, Lord, you know how we could use 22, 92 million dollars. We'll build the, we'll build you the biggest edifice in this county. 
We'll put them all to shame. That's a good reason to buy a building, isn't it? Put everybody to shame. That's real, that's real humble. So you say, Lord, I'm buying this ticket. How much is a lottery ticket, ma'am? Two dollars. In the name of Jesus, get your ticket. Oh, Father, put this right next to my heart. I'm going to sleep on it, put it under my pillow at night. I ain't going to look the numbers until they announce it on uh, whatever day they announce it. Friday, Wednesday, whenever they do it. And now, oh, how could this be? I didn't get it. Well, I don't think that's how God wants us to earn money. That's like going to the casino and putting your money down there while they run a marble around that, around that thing there. I hope it lands on whatever you are. They're playing blackjack or, or playing those one-eyed jack, one of those machines with all them living, putting your whatever in there. And you, oh, I'm going to hit the big one tonight. Nobody hits the big one except somebody that's, well, somebody every now and then does. But you won't. That's not God's will for you. God's will for you is more or less you men. It's an eight-hour day. Sweat of your brow. That's the way it comes. That's the way it works. It's engaging yourself in something, a job that benefits man, does a good thing on this earth. You contribute to the well-being of society. You don't contribute to gambling, drinking, and any kind of crime. You don't work. You don't do jobs like that. That's not the job that we do. We want to keep ourselves in the will of God. And there's so much in the Bible about knowing God's will and what it means and how important it is. But I'll just leave you with this. We know that a lot of people pray amiss. They want things for their own human consumption and not to the glory of God. And while they're asking for things and praying the right kind of procedure, they don't get it. Well, I ask and I didn't get it. Because you asked for the wrong reasons. It wasn't God's will. Is it God's will to heal? Well, it is. What about the person who's out, of, who's out of order? What about a person whose life is under judgment? Or there's a curse on their life? Do they get healed? No. There's even cases in like Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 11, where God said, don't even pray for some people. Because if you do pray, I won't hear you. So you could pray the most eloquent prayer, the most scripturally based prayer in the world, but it won't work. And the reason a lot of people knock and ask and seek is because they don't know the will of God. Another one. Turn to, turn to 1 John 3 on this one. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 21 and 22. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, we have confidence toward God. And, verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. Now, notice this. And whatever we ask, we receive. There's back to where we started tonight. Whatever you ask for, you will receive, and this is why you will receive. Because you keep his commandments and you do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Wouldn't that keep his commandments imply that you are faithful to his word? That you are honoring his word by living what he said and by that you show you're a believer? He said, 
because we keep his commandments and do what pleases God. He said, that's why you get what you ask for. Well, everybody then needs to examine your, your lives tonight. Do you live to please God? Is he your main first love? Is he whom your passion and allegiance is to? Does your heart belong to God? Are you, is he first and foremost in your life and you're unwilling to violate anything that would get between you and him for anybody or anything? We ask and we receive, the Bible says, because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. And I dare say that religion today does its level best to teach the people who read that that that's not possible. Giving them a license to sin and thus never get what they want. But they change their theology to fit their experience and say, well, if it be thy will. He's already told us what his will is about a thousand, eight thousand things. And yet people are told, well, you can't be sure of that. God may not want to do that. He could, but he may not want to. You see, when you're not being fruitful in following the Lord, it's because you're not abiding. Remember what Jesus said about abiding? Listen to this. Abide in me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, remember what the promise is? You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done. I don't know, again, for the same, same thing we've been saying, I don't know what else you could want. John fifteen seven. if you abide in me, it's a dwelling. If you dwell in me, if your life is all about following and obeying him, if you abide in me and my words, my words abide in you. That word is living in you. That word in you that you've heard, you've retained it, and the Holy Ghost can access it any time he wants to and bring it to your mind like a sword. It's the one thing that moves heaven. His word returns. It's the word you've hid in your heart that you might not sin against God. It's the word that, when directed by the Holy Spirit, brings God's power and presence on the scene. That's what he means. Another one. Was this number five? Another one is not praying in Jesus' name. I think you're familiar with that. In John chapter 14 and verse 13, in John chapter 16 and verse 22 and 23, Jesus plainly says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. There we are again. Anything. Anything I will. Think of that. If you ask anything in my will, I will do it. That doesn't mean you can bypass faith, bypass keeping his commandments, bypass patience. All of this fits into the bigger picture. You can't read one verse of Scripture and run with it. You've got to take the whole picture. But he said, I didn't write this. I think you know that by now. But he said that if you ask anything in his name, he will do it. Multitudes of people, you hear them all the time at public events, ball games, car races, football games. Uh, some preachers invited to give the invocation. They'll often say nice, wonderful things, and they say, in thy holy name. What is his name? 
His name is Jesus. Why won't they say Jesus? Because it might offend somebody that doesn't believe in Jesus. Well, then why are you there praying? Anywhere you ought to be. That's not what you're about. Well, I could say more about that, but I won't. Let me go to the next one. Another reason why things don't work is because of sin. Sin. John 9, 31, Jesus said, Now we know that God heareth not sinners. Well, it doesn't matter if you have faith or if you have God's will in heart, if you know all of that kind of stuff. If there's sin in your life, listen to me. Probably, more than anything else, this is why things don't work. This one and the next point is sin. A life that is out of whack with what is revealed. Not everybody knows everything. You're only required to walk in what you know. Do you hear me? He that knoweth. You approach the Lord, he'll give you some information. When he does, that's your life. He said that man doesn't live by bread alone, he lives by that. That's the way you live. There's no other way you can't. There's no substitute for that. That's the way you do it. And so, when you sin, he said, he that knows to do good is unwilling to do it. To him it is sin. And John 9 again says, now we know that God hears not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of him and doeth his will, him he heareth. Or take the psalmist. Psalm said in Psalm 66 in verse 18, he said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Would you turn to that in the middle of your Bible? I want you to see it. Psalm 66. You start with verse 16. That, that's close. Psalm 66 and verse 18. You might want to draw a little circle around verse 18 there. If I regard iniquity in my heart. You know, there's, there's four words in the Bible for sin, transgression, sin, iniquity, and there's one other word, just word sin. But the word iniquity seems to favor Self-centeredness. Now, it doesn't prove out in the Bible in all of its uses. No, not at all. But it seems in the various different words for, for transgressions against God that this word, iniquity, is selfishness, self-centeredness, living for yourself. If I regard iniquity in my heart, what does the Bible say? The Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity in my heart. So how would I know if there's iniquity in my heart? How many of you would know if there was iniquity in your heart? Would it not be that activity of God that convicts you? Remember we read a while ago, if you read it, 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, If our heart condemn us, God alone is greater than, than our heart. But if our heart doesn't condemn us, then we have confidence before God. What would condemn my heart? Sin, he that knoweth to do good. Iniquity. It's called your conscience. How many of you have a conscience? Your conscience is what promotes guilt or peace. I mean, your conscience is your, that's the inside monitor of your thoughts and your deeds and your actions. 
It tells you when you're right. I mean, if you've heard this is the way you walk in and you say, I don't know about that. Well, then this thing goes off and you can't escape it. You know you're wrong. You ever seen a little kid that hadn't heard the gospel, hadn't paid enough attention to the gospel to know right from wrong? And yet when they're wrong, their little faces just telegraph it. Did you hit him? Did you hit him? And they start crying. Why? Tears are the result of what we call guilt, which is a, which is a word that says you deserve punishment. And in anticipation of that punishment, people weep. It's all because of wrong. What is peace? Peace is freedom from all this stuff, freedom from agitation. I have peace in my heart because my conscience is clear. Paul got smacked in the mouth in Acts chapter 23. He said, because I've lived in conscience before, I've lived in confidence before God up to this day. And then somebody smacked him because nobody can do that. Paul said, I know my heart. He didn't say that, but he was in effect saying that. I know my heart. Have any of you ever done something wrong and got convicted about it? I mean, have you ever heard something you knew was right and said, you know, it's really right, and then walk out there and, and do it? Last week, it just, it just, there they came. I talked about complaining. And it wasn't even a good 24-hour robust hours later that I'd already complained about everything. I mean, I was a whining machine, what I would call whining. And all this stuff came back. Boy, listen at you. You just... You know what I had to do? Repent. Or stand up here like a hypocrite and preach it again and fuss at you when I'm more guilty than you are. If I can't live it, I ain't got no business preaching it anyway. And so you say things that uh, you say because of conviction of your heart, but when sin gets in there, it says, yeah. That policeman pulled you over and said, uh, you know how fast you were going? And, and, and you shook your head no when you know good and well how fast you were going. You lied like a dog. I don't know how dogs lie, but you lied like one. And your conscience bothers you. Would that cut you off with God? If I regard what? What happens? The Lord won't hear me. You can pray all you want to. You can pray. You can pray until they write a book about your prayer time. And it won't change a thing because of iniquity. Pride of who you think you are. I know I was right. It wasn't my fault. Well, I ain't going to say I'm sorry. Yeah, that'll keep you out of the kingdom. Certainly keep you from benefiting somebody with your prayer. It's iniquity. And finally, another thing is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Mark eleven twenty four, as we've heard so many times. You can turn over there too. Mark eleven twenty four says, What things ever you desire when you pray, believe that you have received them, and you shall have them. And then goes right into verse twenty five and twenty six, and here's what he says. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught or resentment of any kind against anybody, anybody, you got to forgive so that your Father, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Well, then it's not just automatic, is it? Verse 26, but if you do not forgive, what does your Bible say? If you, if you don't forgive, what happens to you? 
you're not forgiven. All right, go back to Sermon on the Mount. We'll finish up there. Matthew 7. Remember this in chapter 6. You need to stop off over there on chapter 6. Get you a bite to eat over there in verse 12, a little cafe there. It says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Does your Bible say that? Well, you've been there before. It's a good meal. And when he gets through teaching them how to pray, what does he say? He winds up, verse 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If, if you forgive other people, they'll forgive you. I think sometimes the reason we gossip about people and we talk against people is because we've never forgiven them. We're still holding it against them years later. You talk to a lot of divorced people like that, and they were harmed and they were done wrong and never get over it. I mean, they just, I mean, it just keeps coming out. Every time there's a new audience, there's the same old story again. And never forgiven. Well, that's hard to forget. Who, I, I would agree with you. But hard ain't got nothing to do with it when it comes down to what the cost is. I'm talking about heaven now. Verse 15, but if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. You know what he said? Now, those are just a few reasons I gave you tonight and last week. Those are a few good reasons why people ask and seek and knock and nothing happens. They get frustrated. They get turned off by the message of faith. Anything that's positive turns them off because they think they've tried that and it didn't work without realizing that there was something wrong from your side, not God's side. See, let's finish. Go back to chapter 7 again. Let's finish this up so we can get into verse 12 next week. He said, chapter 7 and verse 9, What man is there of you whom, if his son asks bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will give him a serpent? Now, here you are, ordinary human beings, possessing no goodness. There is no man good. I do not believe at this point these, these men uh, had been born again and all of that. So he said to them, if you then, being what? Does your Bible say evil? If you then, being evil, you people, normal human beings, if you know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, who is good, give to them that ask him? See, a lot of people... Don't realize that, they, again, the, the theology changes to say, well, I don't know that God would want you, you know, you may ask for whatever you want to, but God may not want you to have that. Would you give it to your son? Would you want your child to do well? If you were God, would you not see to it that he did well? And you may set a rule and say, but down to do well, you have to respond. If he wouldn't respond, it's not your fault, it's his fault, but you want him to do well. He said, if you being evil know how to be helpful and kind and, and thoughtful with your own children, how much more God, who is unlimited and able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Quit saying, as some people do, well, God knows best. And, well, he does. But they use that as an excuse why after they asked, they didn't get it. Because they said, well, God didn't want me to have it because I asked and I didn't get it. God knows best what we need, and you may want bread, but he may give you a, a, a stone because, you know, in your circumstances, a stone might be what you need and what is best for you. Well, now, he said a man wouldn't do that. 
A man who is evil wouldn't do it. He said, what do you think God's like? Did Jesus ever walk through the shores of Galilee and say to sick multitudes, I'm coming to heal some of you, but I'm not going to heal all of you? Did he ever lay hands on somebody and say, well, not you? He healed them all. He healed them all. He left nothing out, and wherever he found faith, there was some results. Always. There was always good results whenever he did that. But some say, well, he may not want you to have a fish, but he might want you to have a serpent. Maybe he, he may not want you well, he may want you sick. No. No. That is a lie, and it didn't come from God, it came from the devil. It does not say in the Bible that God makes promises he does not want you to have. All of his promises, brothers and sisters, are yes and amen. Not maybe, not if, not could be, but yes. And they're there for the asking. They're, this message is positive. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and it shall be opened. Seek and you shall find. Because God is good. And God is good all the time. And it is the nature of God to give. God so loved this stinking world that he gave to it his own son. The world did not deserve it. We don't deserve it. But he gives us his promises. If we don't have to do good to each other and care about each other, how much more God us so when you go back to thinking about asking, you shall receive, seeking, you shall find, and people who say, well, you know, that, but he may not want that for you. That is a lie. You can tell them. Our pastor, Tom Hamilton, said that what you just said is a lie. L-I-E. You're welcome. Because it is a lie. Let me close with this. In the middle of your Bible, Isaiah 55. This is free. Isaiah fifty five eleven. So shall my word be, God says, so shall my word be which goes forth out of my mouth. This is his spoken word, isn't it? He says this, it shall not come back to me empty. God speaks no empty, aimless words. When he speaks words, they have a design behind them. And the design is your well-being. God doesn't need it, you need it. And he sends these words designed to affect your life because he ends the verse by saying two things. Concerning that word, he said, It shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Now, is there a verse in the Bible that God wants you to have joy? Now, that's the will of God. That's in his word. How do you access it? You believe it. Those who believe God, Romans says, have faith by believing, have peace by believing. You have joy by believing. It's all about believing. God says the word I want you to believe works and does what it says. If it says it'll do this and it'll do that, I watch over to perform it. My people, of all the people in the world, should be the most vital, energetic, trusting Pleasant people on this earth. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.